pressured on this bright uh, Sunday morning to uh, sing together as we Yes. 
you thought about what life would be like as a Christian without grace? Just think about that for a moment. Man alive. How often are we losing grace? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to you for that wonderful avenue of life. You give it to us through Thank you that as your people we can out of that and be saved. Help us to do that, that others might hear how abundant the life of a Christian is through your Son, Jesus Christ. So again, we would thank you for this special day that we can spend together and worship you in your name. And we pray that you will open our hearts Pastor Luca, bless him as we come. We thank you. And be with us through this coming week that we will be bringing praise and honor to your name. That was a good reminder on grace that Verge gave. It's, uh, I find it it's a lot easier if you can look around the room and just say, you know what, I, I probably consume more grace in this room than anyone else. Uh, because when we have that attitude, it makes us a lot more generous than in extending grace to others. Uh, it's when we look at ourselves and think, yeah, I haven't used that much grace, but that person over there, wow, talk about drain the bank dry. Um, but we, when we can all have that approach, that, that we consume a lot. A few announcements. Um, uh, Joni continues to, to do some great work in the office for us. Uh, the uh, church podcast is up and running and going, and so you can actually go to iTunes now and subscribe and 
Uh, every week the podcast will be available. Right now it's the entire uh, church service. We'll probably pare that down eventually to just the sermon. But uh, So when you guys are gone or traveling and uh, you want to just catch up on uh, what you missed, uh, there's either the videos that, that you can watch or simply subscribe to the podcast as well, too. A uh, reminder as well, too, about the E2E events that are coming up. That's everywhere to everywhere. Those are uh, kind of mission, uh, outreach, evangelism, uh, equipping events uh, put on by uh, Multiply, which is uh, our mission-sending agency. And so just a reminder about that. Um, in your bulletins, there's a prayer request. Uh, Joni and I debated this uh, a whole lot. It says, prayer request from P&S, our missionaries. Uh, that's Paul and Sarah. Uh, and the first one there, pray for our immediate neighbor. Um, the, we, and we didn't put her name in. Uh, I knew a missionary couple several years ago. They were missionaries in India. And they had sent out a prayer request that said, please pray for our friend, so-and-so. Uh, you know, we're, he's growing in the faith, and we hope he becomes a Christian, and all these other kinds of things, right? So a church took that, and then just copied and pasted that in their bulletin. Well, then a little while later, this neighbor, for I don't remember, he either Googled their name, or he Googled his own name, and that bulletin over in North America popped up. And it was just kind of an awkward conversation then, uh, you know, be, between them. And so, um, sometimes we'll just be a little bit more cautious on what gets printed just because you can search that with Google and we don't want to create kind of a potentially uh, embarrassing or, or awkward situation. So, But that is uh, Paul and Sarah Rogus. Uh, they're serving as missionaries over in France. Delightful couple. Uh, we always love hearing from them when they come back. We need to send some of you over there to go see what's going on and uh, just get a, a more detailed um, look into missionary life over there someday. Um, but that, that's what's going on there. I just wanted to explain that a little bit. The other thing, too, is in your bulletin. Um, there is an insert. We'll have this in there for a couple weeks. Uh, you know, the leadership team met and, uh, can, you know, continued to work on rebranding and renaming. Um, there's a, a couple uh, names on there that, that we have talked about. Those have been kind of the two most popular that, that seem to have surfaced. Um, but there's a third one that was brought to us that we're pretty intrigued by. And um, so there's a description and explanation of that um, in there as well, too. And so that's for you to look over there, uh, to look over, read that uh, on your own time. And uh, we'll be having more conversations about that, but just wanted to explain what's going on there. So, Okay, um, yeah, I think that um, other more details that, that I would encourage you to check out, but just some of the uh, key stuff I wanted to highlight. So... Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will have our offering and carry on with the service. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good day. And Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your salvation. And Lord, thank you um, just for how freely and abundantly you give it. And uh, Lord, we don't ever want to take that for granted. Jesus, thank you for your salvation and for your mercy and that we can freely receive that from you and lord as we have so abundantly received may we abundantly give to others we love you jesus in your name amen Star. 
Thank you, gentlemen. As many of you probably saw in the news, you know, a uh, few weeks ago, uh, you know, New York passed this bill allowing women to get abortions right up to the moment of birth. And, and I, I can't figure out if that has really reinvigorated that conversation, but it seems like that topic has just been popping up on my radar a lot more lately, and I can't figure out if I see it more or if it's just getting talked about more, uh, but it just seems like it's really been uh, coming up a lot. And um, even, it was interesting, even in my research and reading, today we're in Genesis 3, even in my research and reading in Genesis 3, you know, I'm looking at, at some of what other pastors and such have said, you know, and they wrote, you know, years ago, and they're tying, you know, this, this abortion debate to Genesis 3. And so it just kind of appears to be um, popping up everywhere. And, you know, my, my approach on the topic, it, it is so controversial, has been to be, um, I don't know, not say a whole lot, be fairly quiet about it. Not because it's not important, but just out of respect and concern for the woman or the family who has had, who, who made that decision and may still be in a, a place of just guilt or shame or pain. Or that kind of thing. And, but it is, it is a big deal. I mean, we would believe that abortion is wrong, that it is murder, uh, and that it's, it's also uh, very hurtful to the mother, but at the same time that there is grace and healing uh, and forgiveness in Christ. Um, so Planned Parenthood, for many years, had its own research division. Uh, it was called the, the uh, Guttmacher Institute. I'm assuming there's a German accent on that. Uh, Guttmacher Institute, um, and for and and they were uh, they actually just kind of formally broke off ties here a little while ago, um, but for years and years it was the research um, branch or division of Planned Parenthood, and so Planned Parenthood then um, did uh, some surveys on why women get an abortion, and I'll, I'll share with these some of these with you, but but remember this the kind of what has typically been called the pro-life strategy has been to show that, you know, the, the baby is, is, is a living, breathing creature that, you know, life begins before birth. Like, that has been the strategy, okay? Here are some of the reasons, though, why, why women have said why they've gone through this procedure. And 90% um, gave more than one reason, but these were some of the reasons. 74% um, said that a child would dramatically change their life. Yeah, 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 it will. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it interferes with education. It interferes with job. Uh, they already have other children. 73% said they can't afford it right now. Um, they're unmarried. Uh, they're a student or they're planning to be a student. Uh, they can't afford the daycare. Uh, they're unemployed, that kind of thing. 48% said they don't want to be a single mom or there's a relationship that is somehow complicating the issue. 38% um, said they've decided that they're just done having kids. 32% said that they're not ready for another child. And 25% said just that they didn't want others to know that they got pregnant. And then after that, all the others are less than 25%. What's interesting as you look at this is that what you never heard in any of these arguments was, well, it's not a living being. Instead, what you hear is a lot of variations of either I want or I don't want. 
that's really kind of what it came down to. Planned Parenthood, by their own research, when asking, why don't you want another child, and all the answers revolved around, I want, I don't want. Um, some of you maybe even saw the State of the Union address, and for, for me, the, the, the hardest part of it was um, when he called for legislation outlawing abortion after the point at which uh, the child can feel pain, and you saw a whole bunch of people stand up and cheer, and you saw a whole bunch of people sit and scowl. And it was, that was the hardest part out of all this. And, and that's where we're at as a country. Th this is where we're at a as a nation. Not only do we see some 800,000 plus uh, abortions every year. It's a little bit hard to track because um, uh, certain states are no longer reporting their numbers to the CDC, California in particular, which is probably one of the places where we see the most, but they're, they're no longer reporting numbers to the CDC, so, so we don't have certain numbers recently. But um, So probably around 800,000 plus are aborted every year. Uh, the conversation has actually shifted from abortion to infant side. Um, and we're electing men and women who, frankly, are okay killing their own children. And it all stems back to, I want, I don't want. And what's fascinating, in, fascinating is probably not the best word, I'm not sure of a better word though, is that humanity has been doing this from the beginning. Because thousands of years ago, Adam and Eve stood in the garden, they looked at the one thing that they were not allowed to have, they said, I want, and as a result, children die. Four people on the earth, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and one of the kids kills the other one. And so ever since, from the very beginning, parents saying, I want, I don't want, and then children dying as a result of it. Genesis 3 has been uh, analyzed and reviewed a lot for very good reasons, because Genesis 3 is where everything shifts. In Genesis 1 and 2, God makes something really nice, and it's really good, and it's perfect, and it's beautiful. And then Genesis 3 happens, and mankind messes it all up, and then the rest of the Bible is God restoring perfection. That, that's the basic layout. And Genesis 3 is that hinge point where we go from perfection to mess. And then all the rest of the scripture is how God's trying to put it back together. And someday he will. If you don't understand Genesis 3, the rest of the Bible makes no sense. If you don't understand Genesis 3, human history does not make sense. If you don't understand Genesis 3, in many ways, parts of your own life will not make sense. If you do not understand Genesis 3, then we're just left in kind of this cloud of confusion and speculation, and we're forced to come up with our own wonky theories on why bad things happen in the world. And when you don't understand the problem, then you never actually really identify the solution or how to fix it. We have to be very well versed in the problem before we can actually offer hope on how to fix it. I've done a lot of like do-it-yourself projects around the house, automotive, whatever, that kind of thing. And I, you know, when something's broken, I like 75% is just trying to figure out what went wrong and why so you can fix it. Right? Something goes wrong on your car. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's switch out the battery. Nope, that didn't work. Well, let's switch out the alternator. Nope, that didn't work. Well, let's install a new wiring harness. Well, nope, that didn't work. And at the end, it's still broken and you're broke and you're mad and it's frustrating, right? Because you can't just figure out like that one fuse or whatever it is that's causing all the problems. Interestingly, we do the same thing in other areas of our life, right? I mean, marriage, boy, I, you know, things are not going along well. We're, we're just, we're, we're not, this isn't working. We're not sure what's wrong. Well, let's have a kid. Maybe that'll fix our problem. Nope, that didn't work. Well, maybe if I get a job, maybe if I quit my job, maybe if I change my job, that'll fix our problem. Well, nope, that didn't work. All of our problems came into existence in Genesis 3. And the pattern that we see in Genesis 3 gets repeated all the time. We see it in society. We see it in our own life. Like, it's just there over and over and over again. It's, it's 
it's a lot of the same lies. It's a lot of the same temptation. It's just been tweaked and modified for 2019 is all. But at its core, the exact same thing. And that is why it's so good and so helpful for us to understand Genesis 3 because it just helps us understand life and world and humanity and ourselves so much better. I'm going to read to you um, parts of Genesis 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than than, uh, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Now, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made uh, themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I'm going to skip the next section just because we'll, we'll talk about that next week. In verse 20, the, the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, uh, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden, uh, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. In Genesis 3, we see a new character introduced. Um, here it's just described as the serpent, and so, uh, you know, using scripture to interpret scripture, we look to other verses to say what's going on here. We see from other scriptures that this would be, uh, Satan. A few things that we know about him, uh, once again, based on other verses. Revelation has a pretty thorough explanation, uh, Revelation 12, verse 9. Gives a little bit of his background. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Um, The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil, Satan, uh, the deceiver of the whole world. Uh, He was thrown down. um, um, And there's another part, it talks about a third of the angels that were involved in this rebellion went with him. Uh, we see uh, Revelation 12, 12, uh, 12 uh, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Uh, John eight forty four, Jesus calls Satan a murderer from the beginning. Um, he says, uh, Jesus says that Satan does not stand in truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Uh, Genesis, 2 Corinthians calls Satan the serpent. Uh, he's called the dragon. He's called the serpent and a dragon. First Peter calls him a roaring lion who devours. Uh, he's called a destroyer. The word Satan means adversary. The word devil means slanderer. He slanders you and I. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, John eight forty four. Uh, the father of lies. He's also called the evil one. Jesus calls him the prince of this world, uh, or it may be the prince of the air, depending on what translation you have. 
Uh, Paul and John called him the evil one. He's called the god of this age, another interesting reference. Uh, the ruler of the world system, uh, the leader of the demonic forces. Um, so lots of descriptions. And, and a point of clarity, um, you know, you have Satan. He is the singular dude, like he is just one entity. Uh, he, God is omnipresent. God can be anywhere, everywhere at once, that kind of thing. Satan is just one guy. Uh, but then you also have the kingdom of Satan. So that would be kind of all of his uh, henchmen and minions and demons and that kind of thing. Uh, Satan is real. Like that's, like he's real. And his kingdom is real. Um, there's a lot of talk today about how all spirituality is just good and beneficial. And no, it's not. There is a lot of uh, spirituality that is very dark and dangerous and, and that we need to be cautious against. Uh, Satan and his demons are very smart. They're very powerful. Um, they're very old. They've been observing, interacting with humanity since the beginning. Uh, Christ gave his church authority. Someday we need to do a lot of teaching on understanding power and authority. Uh, but we do see that Christ uh, in the Great Commission gives his church authority. But we also see, though, at the same time, uh, that Satan still has power. So, a little bit of background. Uh, in Genesis 3, the serpent, Satan, approaches Eve and starts a conversation. And there's a lot of different ways that you could kind of look at this or slice this or kind of analyze it or, or that kind of thing. My, my favorite would, would just be to, to look at it like this, is understanding that, that first of all he comes up, and here's what he does first. And this is, like, you're going to see this. Like, once we look at the pattern, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I see, yeah, I see that all the time. Um, here's what happens first. He comes up and he says, yeah, did God really say? Opening question. That may actually, let me think. That may actually be the first question that appears in all scripture. I'd have to go back and double check that. Opening question, though. Opening line. Did God really say? And this whole thing begins with Satan posing this question of, did God say or, or, or not say? And remember, like, you know, like Satan is actually given credit for being incredibly crafty. So we can assume this is a pretty good strategy. Even today, we, we see this all the time. Did God really say? And actually, we see it in Christian circles as well, too. It's just been tweaked a little bit. Because in Christian circles, the, the debate is, is the whole, did God really say, is actually more, can we really trust Scripture? And, and there's actually quite a bit of momentum around this idea that, well, you know, the words of Jesus are inspired, but everything else is kind of like hit or miss, and we're not really sure. Yeah, I mean, our own seminary, that was being taught quite forcefully until just recently when a couple professors were asked to, to step down. I, I've seen the videos. I, I, I can testify to it. <laughs> but raising that question, well, did God really say? Even for us personally, right? I mean, reflect on your own encounters with sin and temptation, and you probably recognize this common starting point. Did God really say? And this is one of the many reasons why it's, for, one of the things is just why it's so important for us to, to know and understand Scripture. When it comes to faith, this is a very important distinction, and sometimes we, we get this kind of mixed up. When it comes to faith, we are encouraged to be childlike, okay? That's very true. But sometimes we take that and we just spread that to everything, and we, and no. In faith, we are to be childlike. In everything else, we are to grow up. First Corinthians says, when I, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul, other writers, I mean, they are, they are constantly talking about maturing and, and getting better and, and growing and improving and there's, there's this ridiculous thing that you will sometimes encounter where, where people will say, and I see it more in men than I see it in women, so maybe just harp on men here for a little bit. But I see these guys go, and they're like, well, I'm just a simple man with a simple faith. No. You're a lazy, immature man with a lazy, immature faith. Grow up. Like, why would you intentionally stay stupid about your faith? Like, why would you intentionally take that path? That makes no sense. Like, does your wife tolerate that? I'm just a simple man. I don't really know her. I just give her a Valentine's card once a year. I think we're good. 
You want a doctor like that? Well, I haven't studied biology since high school, but they gave me a scalpel, so I think we're good to go. Or the guy doing your taxes, right? I just do it all on a watch calculator. There is no excuse to be intentionally stupid about our faith or our relationship with Christ. None. The oldest misleading statement in all of history is this. Did God really say? After that, he shifts. And then, then after he kind of plants that seed of doubt, then he just goes to outright lie. After, after that, he says, you shall not surely die. Which, I mean, as you follow the storyline, we see that that's a lie. We also see that Jesus calls Satan the, the father of lies from the very beginning. But once we become uncertain about what did God say or not say, then we become incredibly vulnerable to the outright lies. And at this point, Eve is shifting. She, she is shifting from, yeah, I don't know if God said that, so I'm just going to make this decision on my own without anyone else telling me what to do. And after... After this lie is stated, Eve no longer argues with the serpent. After believing this lie, she begins to contemplate her options, no consideration of what God says, and then, and, and the battle is always for the mind. Right? I mean, when you raise kids, when you evangelize your friends or tell them about Jesus, when you're counseling your friends, when you're counseling yourself, the battle is always for the mind. And so you, you see this, this shift in, in Eve. And then here's the third strategy that, that's, that Satan does. And that is that he directly calls into question the character of God. For God, so Satan is saying this. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's the implication there? The implication is that God has lied to you because there is this secret knowledge that he wants to hoard for himself and he doesn't want you to have it. It directly calls into question God's truthfulness, God's character, whether or not we can trust God, whether or not he is trustworthy, whether or not he can be believed. Is God good? Is God faithful? Is God fair? Is God really interested in what's good for me? Is he holding something back that would be really wonderful? I mean, why does God forbid all the sort of the quote-unquote fun stuff? And so, you know, in, in Scripture, God tells us things like, hey, you shouldn't lie, and you shouldn't steal, and you shouldn't get drunk, and you shouldn't cheat on your spouse, and all these other things. And then Satan says, no, God's a liar. Go ahead and do it. Nothing bad will happen to you. It's interesting how, how Eve's perspective on the tree changes. Because originally, her viewpoint on the tree was, don't eat it, don't touch it. Now, after hearing all of this, her viewpoint now becomes, well, it's good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It's desirable to make one wise. One pastor wrote this, I thought this was insightful. At this point, the man and the woman have a choice to make. Will we believe God or will we disbelieve God? That is a choice. People get hung up on the fruit thinking it's all about the fruit. It's not about the fruit. The fruit is nothing more than opportunity to demonstrate faith or unbelief. The other thing you notice is that the serpent never advocates for the fruit. He never talks about how good it is he doesn't justify the fruit he doesn't talk about the fruit instead everything he says focuses in on whether or not we can trust god and whether or not we can run our lives with or without god that's the whole conversation did god really say then he inserts a lie and then he calls into question the character of god he never argues for the fruit and why it's good or all these other kinds of things he knew that that would just happen and this is the, the, the lie that, that, that we struggle with and, and that our world struggles with to this very day. Is God trustworthy? 
And, you know, am I fine just being my own God? Like, can I do this better than he can? Uh, for the sake of time, we've not talked about Adam yet. We're going to talk about Adam next week. Uh, so, gentlemen, you need to be here next week. Uh, lots of amazing stuff where we're going to talk about really kind of how Adam was created, um, his role in this, the fall, the consequences, that kind of stuff. Um, ladies, you're welcome to show up, hang out, chat with friends. Um, but, you know, that word will lay into the guys pretty hard on that one. But then, ladies, you're the following week. So be sure to come back two weeks later as well, too. It, it was actually really difficult because there's actually a lot of different applications that, that you can pull out of this, like how do we respond to this. And, and, I, and I guess in thinking about it, I shouldn't have been really that surprised by it because really most of the rest of Scripture is how do we respond to this. Because um, there's just there's a lot of things you can pull out. Even, even just the whole fig leaf thing, the, I, I probably won't. But we could have a lot of fun just doing a whole sermon on the fig leaves. And, and, and just kind of to give you a brief summary, because what you see is that you see Adam and Eve, and suddenly they're in a place of shame, and so they make fig leaves to cover themselves. And then God comes along and is like, well, those aren't going to last long. And then he, he, it says that he made skins, so we're assuming that he killed a couple animals, tanned the hides, and made for him some decent clothes. Well, what you see is that Scripture uses parallel terminology in describing that whole kind of clothing covered thing. That there, there's there's a there's a parallel description on what happens in our relationship with Christ. How our best works, our best righteousness, is nothing more than filthy rags, and how we are clothed in righteousness from Christ. And so there's this amazing comparison that you can really see where. You know, I mean, they, they, they hid behind what was inadequate, and so God stepped in and he made them something that was a little bit better as compared to how we as society and as humans will often try to hide behind something that's inadequate, right? Some good works or hobbies or whatnot, right? We, we just, all, all of humanity is basically just trying to hide behind a fig leaf, and the only thing that really works, though, is when Christ really steps in and we're, and we're able to be clothed in his righteousness. So that's kind of a little mini sermonette that... I wasn't actually going to talk about, but some amazing stuff on, on even just the fig leaves in here. So here's the pattern, and here's the pattern you got to look out for. Did God really say, followed by some outright lie, followed by calling into question God's character? And so here's the idea that, that I would actually leave you with uh, and, and that I would encourage you to think about this week is simply, can God be trusted? Because that's kind of the big thing that, that Satan ends with is basically saying God can't be trusted. He's misled you. And, you know, you can make a better decision on your own without him. And so here's the thing. Can God be trusted? And can his word be trusted? And if, and if that's a hang-up, like, that, that should receive, you know, priority one attention. I, there are great books written for corporations on how to function better as a team. Number one question, how's your trust level? Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Plexicone. It's really good. First question, how's your trust level? Do you guys trust one another? Can God be trusted? Do we trust that he has a perspective where he's going to see things that we don't see? Do we trust that he actually has good things in, in, in mind for us? That he does actually want good things for us, but they, that he has the long view, not the short view, right? Which we do with children all the time, right? We don't punish them just to be mean. We punish them because we believe that in the long run, this is the best for the child, Okay? Punishment is not something we do to the child. It's something we do for the child. Do we believe that God has that long view? Do we believe that, that he has good things, that, that, that he loves you, that he cares for you? Peter ends his, his first letter with these words. And uh, so this is 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and now that we understand chapter 3 or Genesis 3, you're going to see some parallels in here. 
but I'll end with these words. First uh, Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's an act of trust right there. Casting all your anxieties on him. That's another act of trust. Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know if you knew this, but we live in a war zone. Just FYI. And when you recognize that, it helps understand life easier. Devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. There's another act of trust. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, um, today we uh, dealt with some hard stuff. I mean, looking at Genesis 3 and pretty much just when everything shifted. And in doing so, Lord, we're forced to have a conversation about our sins and sins of the world and sins around us and just how humanity excels at sinning and how we're so very good at it. But Lord, we recognize that ultimately the answer to all of this is you. And so, Lord, we just say once again that we trust you. We trust you with our life. We trust you with our career. We trust you with our family. We, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. And Lord, in places where we just can't quite get there, help us. We want to trust you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. In closing, let's stand together and sing Amazing Grace on page 400.